0: Happy birthday to me. You're old.
1: I am. I actually can't believe how old I am. I remember when my mom was this age and thinking, man, she's old.
0: How old are you? I am 41. That is very old. It's older than me. Well, I mean, that's always going to be the case. Yeah. Well. Unless you die. True, which we've been discussing this week because I thought I was going to die from dysentery. (laughs) <laughs> from food poisoning or something this week. So, my funeral celebration is set in stone on text. I want a train of tacos. And a bounce house. Yep. I'm on it. Nintendo's for the kids because it's boring for Your them. Your is my
1: command. Thank you. I'm going to have to argue with Sylvia, though. Why? She might have different ideas.
0: Okay. I'll get it notarized. Maybe Thank that you. will help. Okay. Very so, good. So, Anita... Mm -hmm. You just returned from a trip again, and I want to hear everything, especially about your dad. My little
1: sister just got married. We talked about her engagement a few months back and how I was having mixed feelings about that announcement. So I was a little bit nervous um, about her actual wedding, but then it turned out to be really fun and enjoyable and not a huge, scary thing like it potentially could have been. We traveled to the great state of Texas, to Dallas, and I traveled with my parents, which was immensely entertaining. My dad is a little nutty, and he did not disappoint, ever.
0: Go, Randy, go. I was really concerned that you were not going to be able to heed my recommendations for food... And go to Pecan Lodge Well Instead of going there once We went there
1: twice We got into town It was just my parents and I in the beginning And then the other family members joined us later Throughout the day And Mel says we needs to go to this place And so we went to it And we ordered our food And we're eating it And my dad out of the blue Says This is good for man (laughs) Meat is for man. What?
0: This is good for the body. Food is meant to be enjoyed. Was this a new revelation for him? I
1: cannot speak to whether it was a new revelation for him. It's the first time I've heard him say words like that. It was so funny. And I don't think he wasn't meaning like meat is only for men. He would like meat is for mankind is what he was saying. He's so, very
0: inclusive. Thanks, Randy. Yeah. So then
1: the day before we left, we had the whole family together or most of the family and we were discussing what we were going to do. And he was like, we got to go back to that place. That was some good food. They need to experience this. So back we went two times, one trip. It was good.
0: It's so good, right? Meat is for man. Let's put that on a shirt. <laughs>
1: oh my goodness
0: speaking of shirts guess what y'all what guess what is available starting today anita you don't even know this actually i know (laughs) that's what i was gonna guess i was gonna guess shirts yes and other merch it's official our widow we do now store for merch is officially open. Really? Yes. This store will be open until June 15th, and then it shuts down. Oh. So get it while you can. Yeah. This is like a pop-up merch shop. Pop-up merch. We have been taking into account what people are requesting, so check it out. There are a ton of designs that you can get you can get them in various colors. There's buttons, there's tumblers.
1: I was thinking button like buttons on your shirts, but I think that's not what you meant.
0: Not my buttons, not my gumdrop buttons. So, yeah, check it out. The link is on our Facebook page and also we'll post it in our Widow Waves club and in our Instagram, we will link to it in our bio.
1: That's really cool. I'm excited to see what we have, too, because I don't even know.
0: You actually designed one of the shirts, and I put it in there. I didn't even tell you. Cool. I designed things in my bathtub, and so that's, that's where we got some shirts. And special thanks to our friend Kirsten Stromberg for making this possible. It's a whole ordeal to set up the shop and deal with all that goes with it. So thanks, Kirsten.
1: Gracias. All the
0: widows, thank
1: you. Mel, I just got back from Texas. We talked about my experience. What did you do while I was away?
0: Well, seeing as my memory only stretches back about a day, I'll tell you what I did (laughs) last night. I was tricked. I was lured into a gig.
1: (laughs) Did they lure you with cheese?
0: Yep. They lured me with cheese, with delicious food. They lured me by saying it was going to be an early start time. They were luring me by telling me that they would provide my gear for me and that it would be done early. And it was all lies. Only one of those things happened. They did provide the gear, which I'm grateful for. But! Wait, that means no cheese? No food? I got no, no, I'm telling you it was a (sighs) trap. It was a trap. And they told me that it was going to be limited seating at 20% capacity, which spoke to me because I am like, I don't know how to interact with people that are not grieving like I am because I'll talk about it all the time. So I get there, no rules, no anything. It was like packed. I've never seen this place so packed. Oh, and by the way, no food for me. And guess what time it started? Tell me. 10 p.m. It ended at one. That's past the pumpkin hour for you You guys. I go to bed at nine 30. I'm a golden girl. So did
1: you survive?
0: So all day yesterday I was dreading it because I'm like how am I going to stay awake? Like how in the world am I going to stay awake and Mm -hmm. drive there and then play Mm -hmm. the tunes? So I drank some caffeine before I got there and then I saw my friends and then I played whatever I want. I said I will do this now since you've lured me and tricked me here you have to let me play whatever chords i want to play i'm gonna mess with you when you're singing and play cooler chords and they're like fine so i got to do whatever i wanted and i survived and i tried to use my life coaching tips from coach shauna to help me (laughs) to have a better experience in my mind and guess what what i would say i had a 60 percent decent time and actually kind of fun yeah
1: so will they lure you again, or will you be wise to them next time? Oh, uh, now I'm onto their ways. Mm. See? Sometimes experiences help us
0: to learn. I'm going to give them a contract. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. Food provided, 6 p.m., done at 9.
1: So you got home and went to bed late last night? Well, I probably woke up right after you went to bed, because my dad... Made me wake up super early on my birthday because he was worried about getting to the airport on time. 4.30
0: a.m. Not That's not a happy birthday to me. So, and Texas is one hour ahead of our time zone. So Correct. So that's 3.30 our time zone. In the morning. Yep. Oh, Randy. He is so funny. You are a rascal. I'm glad you had a good trip. I'm sorry you had to get up so early. Aren't you glad you didn't book the earlier flight to come back? You would have had to get up at 2.30.
1: Yeah, I'm glad we didn't have an earlier flight. I would have had to have woken up last night. Mel, it's been a long time since we've talked about BetterHelp, who's one of our sponsors.
0: Yes, and I have been learning a lot about the brain. I've been reading The Body Keeps the Score every day, and I'm learning so many new things. And EMDR is very helpful for trauma survivors. And did you know that you can find a therapist that does EMDR on BetterHelp even if it's online.
1: I did not know that. That's really cool. So if you're in need of a new therapist or you want to try out therapy or you need to have a change or something new check out BetterHelp. You just fill out an online survey. They match you with a therapist really quickly. If you're not hitting it off with your therapist you can always request a new one. And did you
0: know that you can change therapists same day? Oh really? Yeah. If you're not
1: mid-appointment what? yeah, you're you like can fire them.
0: <laughs> yes. You're fired. Yes. It's That's really cool. easy to switch. Yeah. Their platform is pretty great. I've been doing it for over a year now. I love it so much. I can show up in my pajamas. My therapist is really great. You know what else they have? Tacos. Maybe. They have these things that are like groupinars where they have different topics. They're included and... They have everything from grief to parenting to LGBTQ to COVID support to basically anything people are dealing with. The therapists take part in running their own webinars there. So it's really great. I've uh, participated in some of those. So I highly recommend it. And we happen to have a unique code that gives you 10% off your first month. It's
1: betterhelp.com. That's better help with a p dot com slash WWDN.
0: Check it out. The link is in our show notes as well. And get yourself some therapy today. The end. And fire your therapist
1: in the middle of your session today. Mel, what about the Patreon?
0: You want to tell our listeners about that? I love the Patreon. It's so fun. We have so much fun in there. We have a lot of videos from behind the scenes content. We also have some discussions in there. And what Patreon is, is it's a platform for creators where their patrons and people who want to support them are able to do that. So we have four tiers available. They start at $5 and they go up from there. So there are different benefits for each level, so go ahead and check it out at patreon.com WWDN. You can see how I make Anita not sound so mean to me with editing.
1: And if you hate commitment, you can just buy us a taco at buymeacoffee.com slash do now.
0: One of the things that's cool about Patreon is certain levels get a shout out, which we will do right now. Our first shout out goes to our
1: secret dead husband. And she says,
0: we are the world. We We are are the the widows. widows. (laughs) (laughs) You got this, widows. Keep on (gasps) trucking. Next we have Ivan the Meisner. David the Kelly. Constance the Dahlbach. Dawn the Satterwhite. Cat. Just the cat because she's too cool. (laughs) Cat the cat.
1: Now, we'll move on to our widow wives and our widow
0: besties, starting with Danielle Catterberg. A wine house. Karen. Amy. With no last name. Then, Amy Sapp, with the last name Sapp. Ashley Han-Ashley Han. Christina Shifflett. Mindy Holmgren. Dennis Brazo. Jenny Taylor. Jenny Wang. Kirsten Stromberg. Thanks, Kirsten, for the t-shirt shop. Laura Bradbury. Missy Schubertian Symphony Number Two.
1: Sometimes we assume that unless we had a huge life insurance payout, we don't really need to know anything about investments or even finances. But guess what? A little knowledge of finances is critical for all of us. Maybe your partner was in charge of that stuff, and now you find yourself making all the decisions. Maybe you're mad about that. Maybe I am. Nicole from the He's Gone, But the Money's Not podcast is here to help. She tackles financial literacy by telling the stories of women and widows and finance experts and shares the lessons they've learned as certified financial planners. Whether you know a lot and feel confident in your financial decisions or feel unsure about all of that stuff, there is more to learn. Listen and subscribe to the He's Gone, But the Money's Not podcast on all podcast platforms. This ad was paid for by Rock House Financial and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. <laughs> Rachel Barbosa, <laughs> fist pump, fist pump. Sarah
0: Morris, Sylvia Shore, Anna Tracy, Christina Scambato, Christine Anderson, Diana Becker, Emily Thornton, Emily Toledo. Erin Pozik She was the
1: first one to wish me a happy birthday Because she was One day ahead Good job, Erin Gabe Lozano Ileana Bell my, my sister from another mister Jamie Aliota. My mom, who I got to spend a good deal of time with Over the weekend, and it was lovely Meat is for man Meat is for my mom <laughs> Jenny Barrow Our new potential neighbor, Jocelyn. Fancy lady, Joy Kirsch. I didn't see her in Dallas. Katie Radcliffe. Karaskara. Lori Farrington. Marie
0: Hoffman. Holy cow. Your backyard is looking so good, Marie. Party at your house. Marjorie Lewis. Mary McGowan. Shannon Helm. Sunshine. Surviving the weekend. Tammy Schwartz, Tara Wallace, Ian. We can't
1: decide how to pronounce your last name. Sini. Is it Chini? Sini? Kini? Seni? 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 Let okay. us know.
0: We'll do better next time, Ian. La- sorry about that Swahili.
1: <laughs> then we have Valerie. they
0: <laughs> 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 Another green slip for you. And tacky wolf print Wendy. And finally,
1: Sarah Kennedy. Thank you to everybody who supports us on the Patreon. It really helps us to keep the podcast going and keep finding and helping all the widows. Speaking of finding the widows, we are currently holding a contest or a bribe. I don't know how you would define this it's if a win-win you, it's Whatever. a let's just say it's a win-win if you write a review and a rating for the podcast on itunes shoot us an email with your username of that review we will enter you into a drawing for a two a couple two 20 i said 25 on the last podcast and you said 20 on your post so
0: you told me 20 in the text who cares it's 20 okay. something it's going to be a 20 something dollar gift card. Oh my gosh, we're a nightmare. This is what happens when widows rule the world, guys.
1: <laughs> so make sure that you give us a rating and review. It helps so that new people searching for resources and support find us and we can get them into the widow wives club. We can get them the support that we have all found helpful. Hopefully you have.
0: I mean, hopefully that's why they're listening. Hopefully.
1: Unless this is their first time. And then, welcome, first-timers.
0: Yes. We hope you're not traumatized. I mean, you are. Remember to join our Widow Wives Club on Facebook. You have to answer all the questions. If you have a hard time finding the link to join the Widow Wives Club, either email us or in our Instagram. Find our link in our bio, and the link is in that. When you're
1: requesting to join the Widow Wives Club, there are four questions And you might try to skip over some of them, but please either answer yes or no, or enter the text or the links that are requested.
0: This does not mean to just give us information. It means if you do not have the link we are requesting, you need to email us and we can help you from there. If you don't understand what we're
1: talking about, go try to join. And then you'll know.
0: And remember, you need to agree to the rules, and that's one of the boxes that you need to check.
1: That's one of the ones that gets forgotten, and we need you to say that you will agree to the rules. That's all. Thank you. Is it time, Mel?
0: It's so time.
1: It's a... Remember when you were little and you'd say, it's a freckle
0: past a hair. I... Did you ever do that? Oh, my gosh. I had to, like, reach back in the archives just now, and now I'm remembering yeah i'm anita i'm mel it's time to get to our guest and we're two
1: young widows trying to help all of you and all of us figure out widow we do now
0: We have a very special guest today. I know. He knows very famous people. He's written like 313 books, I think. I think he doesn't think he's funny, and we are so excited
1: to try and derail him. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, that's the goal all the time,
2: isn't it? Yes. You know, one of the things I'm trying to overcome is uh, a name dropping.
1: If I had names to drop, I would drop them, as we do.
2: No, it was, no, it's interesting because I, I was speaking in Russia. Uh, I don't speak Russian, but I, I was I, I was I was doing a presentation there and uh, picture this. I did an exercise with 500 Russians in this audience. And and I said, I said, it was interesting because they said, you know, you know, you're you're this author, you you know, you're kind of a thought leader. Don't do any interactive stuff. I mean, I said, that's all I do. That's all I do. And so I did this exercise. And I said, uh, I want you to pair up with the person next to you and talk about something really exciting. And they did that. And I called out some people and I said, uh, what did that feel like? They said, oh, that felt great. I said, well, uh, now we're going to try something else. I want you to pair up with that person and and you're going to talk about something that you're embarrassed about. And I'm going to go first, you know. So so the thing I'm excited about is I'm here in Moscow, talking about this book that, you know, did pretty well in your country. So I'm excited about that. But I'll tell you, uh, here's something I'm embarrassed about. I'm a name dropper. And I've already dropped at least five names. And every time I do that... You know you know you know I get away with it people will say to me mark mark you know don't be so hard on yourself at least you know the people and but but i've done it five times and afterwards I say how could you be so insecure uh, and it's a work in progress and since it's a work in progress i'll probably drop some names here
0: I thought you were gonna say I dropped five names and I couldn't pick them all back up but um bum chill a question about that because I I think about this from time to time because I'm a musician and part of that is very important in our profession knowing who somebody has played with or who somebody has worked with and I've noticed I've just kind of observed over time there are people that are using that to make themselves feel and appear cooler and then there are people that are like no I've just played this gig and here's a fact here's who it was with so what's the difference are you saying it because that's just your line of work and that's who you work with or to be cool
2: like I'm a shrink and it's supposed to be about the patient. You know, we're not supposed to brag. We're supposed to be humble. We're supposed to be yada, yada, yada. Uh, 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 but you're actually triggering a memory about a jazz musician, but I won't, I won't, I can't tell you his name. I used to do house calls to people who were, who were dying and whatever. So this jazz musician, you're going to say, who's he talking about? But you might, uh, you know, Mel, you might especially get this. And they, and they kind of liked that I could just be sort of you know direct with them because everybody was you know walking around in eggshells and and I said to this one guy I said you know you've won Grammys in three decades and you know and et cetera et cetera and I said uh, uh, you know you also had all these run-ins with the law you know and drugs and all that sort of stuff I mean you know what the heck was that about and this was fascinating he said he said well, I'll tell you. He said, you know, when I was young, I realized that I knew something about music. And I guess they'd say I'm a protege, but that seems too hoity-toity. He said, but what happened is I had a pushy mom. And he said, every time, you know, I played my music or composed stuff, uh, other people patted me on the head. And they said, that's our little boy. Oh, they took credit for it. And I wasn't stupid enough to throw it away, but every time I took credit for it, it drove me crazy. And I said, so what does this have to do with the drug use and the law? He said, when I did drugs, nobody took credit for it. So that was something that, own, that I own completely. And you got to have something that you own completely where nobody takes credit for it. So my drug use belonged to me, my run-ins with the law belonged to me, and, and you need that. When everybody is like a stage mom and they're taking credit for you, I said, wow, wow, that's fascinating. Wow. In,
0: in classic jazz musician form, that is a very creative and unique way to do something. <laughs>
2: There you you go.
0: There you go. We should probably
1: introduce our guest, don't you think, Mel? Okay, this is the anonymous guest, Doctor Morose. That's what we're calling him.
0: We're calling him Doctor Morose because he has a story that you're going to have to name drop about it. I have
2: to name drop. Okay.
0: This is a name drop, no judgment zone. How about that?
2: I like that. I like that. Uh, I like that. So, uh, so you're going to introduce me, or we don't have (laughs) to. That's. I think we should.
0: Everybody, this is Dr. Mark Goulston joining us from Los Angeles, California. Welcome, Dr. Goulston, or aka Dr. Morose. Segway into story, please.
2: Yeah, Yeah. but before I get into the story, I got to tell you something, because when I speak to millennial groups, so here's a little bit of, you're going to look at each other. He just slipped in some name dropping. Um, So when I speak to millennial groups, and I live in Los Angeles, I say, it won't impress you that I trained FBI and police hostage negotiators, and then I show them a slide. I say, what will impress you is they film the movie super bad in my house.
0: <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. I told you,
2: see it always. That's all they remember. They go, what? And I show a picture of one character named McLovin, and next to McLovin is Seth Rogen and Bill Hader. And they're in our bedroom. Wow! So I I show that to millennial groups, and I'm telling you, that's all they remember.
1: That's what gives you the credibility
0: is that story, and none yeah, of it, the. I, I was
2: also work. You know, I worked on the O.J. Simpson trial. They don't remember. I anything. remember that though.
0: But, uh, I remember that, that too. Now we might look yeah, young. Got... We might be older than you. But think. We're kind of old. <laughs> yes, I think I was. I think I was in junior high when the O.J. thing was going on. You were probably just barely in high school, right, Mm, Anita? I don't remember. Here's one interesting fact, though. Dr. Morose, a.k.a. Dr. Goulston, I am into true crime, so the FBI hostage thing is near and dear to my heart. And we're both widows, and we have suicide widows in our group, so that is also near and dear to our hearts. So all three of those facts we are very impressed with, including super bad. So thank you.
1: Dr. Morose, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself professionally besides the fact that Superbad was filmed in your house? What, what kind of a doctor are you? What do you specialize in?
0: And why do you get called Dr. Morose?
2: Okay, well, because I was trained as a psychiatrist. Also, I have something, and maybe this will help people cope. I have something called the Dead Mentors Society. So I've had eight mentors, they've all died. And, uh, and one of my early mentors was one of the leading experts on suicide in the world. So he, he co-founded the Suicide Prevention Centers in Washington, Los Angeles. And there's something called the American uh, Association of Suicidology. And he founded that. And he was at UCLA and uh, his name was Dr. Ed Schneidman. And he was quirky and I'm kind of quirky and uh, so we got along pretty well. And what would happen is he would refer me still suicidal patients who had to be discharged. Now they weren't acutely suicidal, you know, but you can't keep them there forever. It was just it was just part of their personality. And so he would go up to a consultation with them and he'd refer them to me because sometimes the residents and training, you know, they could pick and choose who they saw who left the hospital. And sometimes they didn't want to see these people that they thought would still kill themselves, even though they signed a contract saying, no, I'm good to go. Or, you know, and, you know, they just sign out and all that sort of stuff. So so I, th- I became somewhat of a suicide specialist because he would refer me these people. He'd uh, he'd uh, do a consultation on them and he'd call me on the phone. And it was always the same uh, phone call. He and hears his voice. He'd say, "Mark, Mark, this is Ed. I'm with this lovely young woman. I'm with this handsome young man. Mark, you could help them." Uh, and so, they got discharged. And I'd see them. And uh, uh, and can, can I share something that's? kind of poignant. Do you do poignancy? We can do both. We like to live in both worlds. Okay. So, so part of my real good fortune was that just before I finished training, there was a fellowship I was going to go into and the fellowship fell apart. So I said, well, I may as well just go out there and this guy's referring me people. So it looks like I have, you know, you know, people to see, but why it was my good fortune is because, uh, As I started seeing these suicidal patients, because I didn't work in an institution anymore, I noticed something that when I would be checking boxes and I started to listen into their eyes, and when I listened into their eyes, their eyes would be screaming out at me, their eyes, you're checking boxes and I'm running out of time. So I had the choice to check boxes or go where their eyes were taking me. And so I learned to listen into their eyes. And part of what I do, because I, I, you know, I, I, I'm retired now, but I do programs where I you know, give tips to parents who are worried about their kids or their spouses or whatnot about how do you reach people. And part of the mission that I'm on in the world is, you know, when people are in pain, uh, they're always screaming at you with the, through their eyes. They may be screaming at you, but a lot of times, if you look into their eyes, they're screaming at you, uh, I can't take this much longer, I'm running out of time. And if they see you noticing it, and instead of getting scared, giving them all kinds of advice and throwing stuff at them, if you just look into their eyes, uh, and uh, something I've I've told parents to say to their kids, so here's a little input, uh, if you have kids you're worried about and they're in a dark place. When you ask your kids, how are you doing? Or you ask anyone, how are you doing? And they say, I'm great. They're usually good. But when they say, I'm fine, they're not. When they say, I'm fine, what they're saying is leave me alone.
1: I think we are well accustomed to that phrase as widows. We all use it and we all use it as a code for, I don't want to talk to you about it.
2: Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. And, and so what happens is when they say they're fine, if you're worried about a kid, because that's one of my passions is to try to help things is, is, uh, is you can say, uh, and you can even say to you, that kid or whatever, you could say, you know, if you said you were great, I think you were good. But if you say you're fine, I think you're not fine. And and, and so there's a few questions that I suggest. So you, you say this to your kid, you could say, at your absolute, at its absolute worst, how awful are you capable of feeling and they're going to go huh what no you could say at at its absolute worst how awful not awful behavior but how i just awful you capable of feeling and they they may say uh pretty awful and you want to get them to open up pretty awful or very awful oh okay very awful second question is uh and when you're feeling very awful how alone are you capable of feeling with it? Pretty alone. Pretty alone, or all alone? Okay, all alone. So it's what you're feeling is this is surgical empathy. You know we've talked about that. You're going in there, and then what you do is you just say, "Take me to the last time you felt it." You're gonna say what? Yeah, take me the last time. Was it two thirty last night? Because I heard you walking around your bedroom. And here's an interesting thing is when you can get someone to talk about something so vividly that you see it through your eyes, they re-experience the feelings. And when they re-experience the feelings, they're not alone. Yeah. So what was happening at two 30? Heard you walking around. Yeah. I woke up. I couldn't get back to sleep. Yeah. I, we could hear you. What was going on? Uh, I, you really want to know? I wouldn't, I wouldn't be asking if I didn't want to know. I, I was driving myself crazy. You know, uh, uh, felt like putting my fist or head through the wall wow then what happened well i didn't do that uh you know and then i kept looking around for uh you know i was sneaking around if you really want to know looking for some of your sleeping pills you know you know that maybe you left another room to find any because we're looking for those things uh no not none uh, uh, so what'd you do then Well, i went back into my room and and mom dad i i I didn't know how I was going to make it, and then the sun rose. And then what you say to your kid? You can say, "I got a favor to ask you." Uh, when, when you feel that the next time, do whatever it takes to get your dad or your mom and my attention. And because sometimes you know we're you know you know we're caught up in ourselves, but do whatever it takes to get. Our attention because we don't want you to be there alone hmm. so does that make sense you can sort of follow yep. that so It's just like peeling the onion and so I'll share that with you because one of the things that just changed everything for me as a suicide person suicide uh, prevention person uh, there was a woman named Nancy that Dr. Schneidman referred to me and I think she'd made three or four attempts and I didn't think I was helping her I mean I you know, saw her probably two or three times a week and she rarely made eye contact. And on one Monday uh, she came in and I was moonlighting in a hospital that weekend, you know, meaning I was, you know, it was a state hospital covering for other doctors. And, and sometimes you're up 24 hours, 30 hours and, you know, and you know, if you've ever studied for final exams, you know, that if you're up 30 hours, you get a little bit wigged out, you know, you're a little bit weird, you know, your teeth aren't your teeth are loose your sphincters aren't uh, working the way they should be you know but we but we but we won't go there we won't go there um you know uh and so i had been up and so picture this so you're looking at me and i'm looking at you and when i was looking at nancy she's like this she wasn't catatonic but i was you know sleep deprived and so i said and she rarely talked to me and i said nancy uh no, and what happened is I'm looking at her, the color in the room turned to black and white. So I'm looking out and the room is black and white. And I, you know, and I'm relatively young. I said, this is kind of weird. And then I got cold and chilled. And I said, oh, I'm having a stroke oh, or seizure. <laughs> you know, black and white room, cold. And so I do a neurologic exam on myself. I'm a psychiatrist. You know, I was trained, you know, in medical type stuff. And so I'm tapping my elbows, I'm looking at my fingers, I'm whatever. And and she's still like this. And I say to myself, I, I think you're all here. You're not, you're not having a stroke or a seizure. And then I had this crazy idea that as I was looking out into the room and it was black and white and cold, that I was looking out at the room through her eyes. That that's what she felt. So because I was sleep deprived, I blurted this up. Nancy, I didn't know it was so bad. And I can't help you kill yourself. But if you do, I will still think well of you. And I'll miss you. And maybe I'll understand why you had to, to get out of the pain. And I thought, I think I just gave her permission to do it. I think I'm really screwed here. And she looked at me. It was the first time she looked at me. She looked right through me. And I said, what what are you thinking? And she looked at me and she said, if you can really understand why I might have to kill myself to get out of all the pain, maybe I won't need to. And then she smiled. And I kept looking into her eyes and I said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. I'm not going to throw treatments at you unless you say, I think I need some treatments because you've been tried on everything. And I'm not going to throw stuff at you unless you say, can we try something? Uh, And I'm not going to throw something at you and then have you not try it. And then you come back and you're you're guilty and I didn't do it and whatever. Uh, Would that be okay? And so imagine we're locking eyes like I'm locking on yours. And she looked at me with a look that said, no, keep talking. You know, I'm I'm intrigued. Uh, And then I said, what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to find you wherever you are and I'm going to keep you company there as long as it takes.
1: That's so interesting. The word choice that you just used.
0: Yeah. We'll tell you why in a minute. Yeah.
2: Cause you, cause you've been there alone too long. And I just don't want you to be alone there. And then her eyes started to tear up and all the color came back in the room and coldness went away. And, and uh, so that was kind of my approach uh to my surgical pay uh, to my uh to my my suicidal patients to to listen into their deepest pain and do whatever I could so they felt felt and I'll tell you something that I learned about suicide. Boy, this is a comical show, isn't
0: it? Um, oh, it will be. Don't worry.
2: Don't worry. You know, we're going to hit you with some gotchas and punchlines. You'll never might get be out of it. Mean, we've already
0: had so, at least three jokes so far. It's fine. Well, there it's you. Balance.
2: Okay so, okay, so let me get through the Dr. Morose thing. because, uh, because but, but, but here's something I discovered. So after Anthony Bourdain killed himself, I wrote a, an article called Why People Kill Themselves, It's Not Depression. So this might be of some interest. Uh, and, and, and it got 500,000 views in eight days. And I said, you know, a lot of people depressed, they don't kill themselves. A lot of people lose jobs, they don't kill themselves. A lot of people, uh, you know, it may contribute to it. But something I discovered when people are at the end of their rope is they have despair. And if you break the word despair into D-E-S-P-A-I-R, That means unpaired, despair, and they're unpaired with reasons to live. Hopeless, helpless, powerless, worthless, useless, meaningless, purposeless. And when they all come together, pointless, and what people who haven't been depressed, deeply depressed, don't understand is that death is empathic to that pain. Death feels the pain and says, I will take it away. And so I think by going into their pain, into the dark night of the soul, and I have a book called Just Listen, uh, which is in 28 languages and actually became the top book on listening in the the world. Mm -hmm. It's about how do you cause people to feel felt? And I think what may have helped with these people is Death felt their pain and said, I'll take it away. And if there was a way in which I could connect with them and they felt felt by me, as Nancy did, they could let go of death and attach to feeling felt. Does that make sense? Kinda, Sort of.
0: Yeah. This is so interesting that there is so much to talk about here because we've been doing a lot of discussions about suicide, the medical community what can be done what's happening and all these things that you're talking about are making me just dis- i mean i don't want to say like i feel so happy talking about suicide but i'm so glad that this perspective is being discussed i personally when my sister was suicidal just a few months ago and so i was the one with her that was helping her contact a hotline go to the hospital we dealt with a couple hang ups as far as the healthcare situation and it was not until after that 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 I learned how much of a an important piece it is to help get better care. Because as, as like we call it, like civilians, I guess, sometimes we don't see that side of things. And so what you were saying about the surgical empathy, I love that because it is addressing the medical issue and that whole world. And empathy is bringing that other really important part of it together. So... Thank you for talking about this. This is a a topic that not a lot of people know how to talk about, and we're glad that you have expertise in it and are willing to talk about it. The other thing is widows, they are in greater danger of suicide within the first six months of their person's death, and so we, a lot of us have experience with either being actively suicidal, passively suicidal, all those things, and we don't exactly know how to help but we want to help so these discussions are so important i was just going to say
1: when he was explaining when he we said that his choice of words was really interesting a few weeks back mel and i well mel actually came upon
0: i made a little meme for our instagram well first
1: you decided that you had discovered the true definition of empathy and her true definition of empathy is meeting somebody where they are right then. Not feeling bad for where they were a month ago or where they're going to be a year from now, but whatever they're feeling right in that moment is what you try to connect with, which sounds a lot like what you are describing also.
0: Yeah, what did I say? I said empathy is meeting somebody where they are right now. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that we deal with a lot as widows too is our husband dies or a person dies and somebody says to us, well, it's gonna be fine later, or it's fine because at least Easter's coming, <laughs> and Jesus, and we're like, what? That has nothing to do with how I feel right now. Okay,
2: so I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you an intervention be, with these people who, who out of anxiety say the wrong thing, and often the wrong thing makes you feel worse.
0: Please, we need that.
2: So here's a suggestion, um, and initially you might be too ticked off at them. You know, you know, you know, you know stop trying to help me. You're making it worse. Is kind of what you're feeling. And uh I actually did this with a woman whose only child daughter was viciously murdered. And and one of the problems she had is she said, you know, when people would say, Do you have any children? Do you have to, you know, go into the story. Well, I once had one. Well, what happened? And yada, yada, yada. And she said, It's so awkward. Here's what I would suggest with one of those people. And and you guys could do it because you have a sense of humor. And, and, and when they say it, you, you go like this. Oh, no, 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 no. And they're going to say, what? Mm, and you go, no, 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 no. And they're going to what? And you, could, and you could say, look, if I was you, I wouldn't know what to say either. And they're going to go, what? You could, you could say, yeah, yeah, no, no. The thing you said, it's because you didn't know what to say. And it's okay. You're off the hook. If I was you, I wouldn't know what to say either. I mean, you know, it's like it's like Bambi, you know, walking around the forest and you talk to a widow that you didn't know was a widow. It's like, you know, Bambi coming in, you know, after the whatever. It's it'll be okay. And what happens is because that's what she would do with people because to say, "Well, I had a daughter and she was murdered," you know, what we coached her to do because it was just so awkward is is she let them say it. And she'd say, it's okay, it's okay. And and in those days before COVID, uh, you know, she'd touch them on the shoulder and say, it's okay, it's okay. If I was you, I wouldn't know what to say either. And what happens is it shows such grace that they not only feel better, but you walk away from the conversation saying, that was darn classy. Where the heck did I learn how to do that? That was you know, pat yourself on the back, girl. That was pretty cool. So, do oh, you yeah. follow me, it it's like a it's like a chance to do something like that because uh uh there are all uh, you know, you know, when people suddenly, especially when you're younger, you know, when they hear that, it's a it's a showstopper.
0: Mm-hmm. So that's like a, in a way one way that we as the grievers can use empathy in that we are allowing them to talk to us, but we're not shutting them out because they don't understand and they can't understand.
1: We talk about that all the time. We're like, nobody knows what to say. We don't know what to say. We've lived through it and you still don't know what to say to somebody. There is no book that's like, oh, this is this is what to say, you know, it's...
2: Well, I'll tell you why it can help when you show empathy to the person who's doing a lousy job of it with you. Uh, you know over the years when I would see some depressed people and, you know, and forget for the moment, the widow thing, you know, what a number of them would say when I, when I, and here's, here's another uh, technique of surgical empathy. It's called the five realies you know, so someone would talk about something and you'd say, no, I understand that, but what's really going on? Well, I get, you know, I'm snapping at my kids and uh, and, you know, I'm sort of just jumping on them and, I know, but what's really going on? Well, I don't feel like I'm getting much help. You know, my kids aren't doing what they need to do. And, you know, and, you know, and then if they're not widows, you know, you know, my husband's not much well, help. Yeah, mine you know.
1: is not much help at all. So it still applies. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure you're living in my house because so far you've gotten two of the realies. Keep going.
2: Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, but if you keep, so if you say, but what's really going on? And so. Uh, This is something that a lot of high achieving women who are unhappy, but they're achieving, you know, that's, you know, that's what they're doing. When you push them, a number of them, when I wouldn't let them off the hook, I remember a number of them would say, I can't find my warmth or my patience. And if I can't find my warmth or my patience, I'm not a very good mom.
0: Anita. This is meant for you today.
2: Yes. You know, and, And but the point is, when they would say that, that the surgical empathy is what's really going on. And do you follow me? That when they could say that, they could start to cry with relief because that's what was really going on. You know, I don't know what's become of me. You know, I'm impatient. I tell them to do their homework. They don't cooperate. You know, I tell them to clean up, but they're not doing it. You know, and I'm snapping at them and they're just kids. And so, so this is another thing, and, but, but getting back, this is a real tangent. One of the things I used to do with some of the depressed people, I'd say, what's really going on? What's really going on? And a number of them would say, I don't think I deserve to feel better because I am totally self-involved. You know, maybe I don't deserve to be happy because, you know, I may say things, but I'm totally self-absorbed. And maybe I don't deserve to be happy because, you know, maybe I just don't care about anyone. So one of the things I would do, this is, uh, is I would have a box of healthy snacks. And we're in L.A. There's a big homeless problem here. Uh, And I would give them a bunch of healthy snacks. And I'd say, what I want you to do every day is when you walk past a homeless person, I want you to go up to them. Don't scare them. Uh, and say, uh, "Hey, my name's Mark. What's your name?" You know they do have names. And then when they say whatever it is, and they'll be nervous, you could say, hey, "Yeah, yeah, my name's Mark." Uh, and, and you and you give them one of the snacks because a lot of times you don't want to give them money because they'll buy alcohol or drugs. And you say, Here, you know, here's a little something. You know, hope it helps. You know, and just just hang in there. And and then you leave. So in other words." This is a chance for every day to do something for someone else that's not going to score you points but let's see what it does to this feeling that you're self-absorbed and maybe that's why you deserve to be depressed. And I am telling you when they did it for a week they'd come back and they'd be de- they'd be like mumbling I said what's the matter? It helped.
0: <laughs> and I <I'm> mad <laughs> that it helped. Right.
2: It helped. Yeah. <laughs> And so what I'm saying is sometimes if you're a widow and you show empathy to other people, people who are awkward, who you're angry at, but if you show empathy and they receive it, it can maybe help a little bit of it because a lot of what you might be feeling, even though you feel justified, I'm a widow, you know, he left me as a real mess, all that stuff. It's all true. But by showing some empathy to other people and feeling that was pretty cool what I did.
1: Can I just keep a healthy snack in my pocket and give it to the person instead of showing them empathy? Just give them a fruit snack. Is that not? Does,
0: that is empathy, isn't
1: it? <laughs> does it work the same or no?
2: Hey, knowing you people, why don't you just give them a six pack?
1: <laughs> no
2: <laughs> fruit snacks. <laughs> hey, come on. Hey, where's your sense of humor? This isn't. This you can't isn't, even buy hey, a, a six on, come pack come
1: here. Come on.
2: Yeah. that's right that's right yeah i know so instead all these uh people they have six packs they're exercise fiends they have six that's packs right. running around. but right. anyway
0: anita definitely does
2: But we got to talk about dr morose because you you set that up should, should we yes. tell that story
0: yes tell us how you got the name dr morose
2: okay here's
0: <laughs> here's name dropping number 67 and i approve
2: so what happened is uh a couple years ago i was invited to Uh, Larry King had breakfast every day for the last 23 years. And it basically got him out of bed and, you know, and he had, you know, he had quirky friends, you know, people would be, uh, come by, people would drop in from New York. And so someone introduced me uh, to a breakfast, one of the breakfasts and I, uh, and I I went to it. And uh, they would often talk about uh, sports. I mean, you know, he was a big Dodger fan. He sat behind the dugout or they talk about politics and things like that. And often there were some people who were pretty fanatical about sports and politics, but, uh, but he would look at me and he'd say, what are you doing? What are you listening for? I said, I always listen. I got a book called Listening, just listen. He said, you're so serious. I said, no, I'm just listening. He said, do you ever stop thinking? I said, no, I can't control it. I'm always thinking. And he said, you know, you're so morose. <laughs> you're Dr. Morose. <laughs> and I said, Larry, I don't want to bring anyone down here. I'm look, I don't want to be a drag. I don't want to be a downer. And he said, no, 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 no. We need Dr. Morose because sometimes we get ahead of ourselves. We're talking. We don't know what we're talking about. No, no. We need Dr. Morose. So that was good. But, uh, Can I share another poignant moment? Because after he died, I did an Instagram because I remembered something. So about four months before he died, uh, you know, I would sometimes visit him and I can do a little hypnosis here and there, you know, enough, you know, enough to be dangerous.
1: Can't we all.
2: And so, and so I was hypnotizing him to try to gain some weight because, you know, he just lost his appetite. He had so many illnesses. And, And this is what I shared on the Instagram thing three days after he died, because it just occurred to me. I hadn't remembered it. And when I hypnotized him, you know, and then he came out, I had this feeling that I would never see him again. You know, because of COVID and whatever. And so as I was leaving his bedroom, I looked at him, and I just spontaneously said, I love you, Larry. And he looked at me and he said,
0: I love you, Morose, <laughs> and that was
2: and that was the last time I saw him. But you know, and I was thinking, geez, how often do you get to have that conversation? You know, it's kind of the last conversation. So just you know, so my Instagram thing—if you go to Instagram, you can find it somewhere. But you know, it just sort of overwhelmed me that that was, you know, that was kind of a touching moment.
1: That happens sometimes, right? You never know when's going to be the the final piece of it that is so right. yeah. you in your past before you i don't know if it was before or not you um before you worked with suicide people who were suicidal you also did a lot of work with people who had experienced trauma in their lives is that is that true or was it at the same time
2: yeah i know at the same time I, I actually wrote ptsd for dummies No, <laughs> you know which is which is a pretty good book even though the dummy series is you know the dummy series and uh but recently, I have a recent book called Why Cope When You Can Heal. And I co- uh, co-wrote co it with this woman. Um, to be honest, I look pretty good, but I, you know, I was 73 yesterday. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pretty old. So I discovered this woman named Diana Hendel and, and I want to fade into the background because, you know, you know, I'll go on shows, but, you know, I don't necessarily want to travel. I'm a grandpa, you know, you know, you know, I want to, you know, I'm not in a rush, but I'm okay with going into the sunset. Uh, And so Diana, uh, she, uh, she was the CEO of a hospital where on her hundredth day as CEO, the employee of the month came in and he killed his two supervisors and killed himself. And she grew up in that hospital. She was a pharmacy student. And then she rose all the way up to being the CEO. And she has a wonderful memoir called Responsible, a memoir. And I have a podcast called My Wake Up Call. So she was one of my guests. And wake up is one word. My Wake Up Call, Mark Goulson. You can find all these episodes, including the second one with Larry, where he talks about Dr. Morose. so, but, but Why Cope When You Can Heal, the subtitle is How, uh, how Healthcare Heroes of COVID-19 Can Recover from PTSD, and, and so, so I know something about helping people with trauma individually, and she knows something about how do you help uh, organizations through trauma, because organizations have trauma, you know. You know, because initially they pull together, and then they finger point: who did this? Whose fault is it? And they guilt trip each other. Why were you? Where were you? And such and such. So she's my co-author in that. But what we introduced in that is the is the term surgical empathy. Because, as as I said earlier, and and, and this is this is our view of trauma, at least for healthcare workers, and it's in the book. Uh, is perfectly applicable with no changes to veterans. And because uh, veterans have a lot of trauma, so do first responders, so do firefighters, so do police officers. And so what we came up with, and I can't stand the term, but you know we're getting away with it because it's a modern world. And we have something called the 12 phases emotional algorithm. I told you it was awkward, but what it is, is these the steps that people go through when they're traumatized. So now you might have to adjust to this if you're a widow. You may not have to adjust to it, sadly, if you're the widow of a suicide, because it may fit that. But the reason for doing, and I'll tell you what the 12 phases are, is we have this idea that when you can name something, you can tame it. And, you know, And so picture this, if you're a healthcare worker or a first responder and it's COVID and you're in the emergency room and you're used to, you know, one or two deaths a month and you just had five on your shift, including one of your coworkers, you know, you just, uh, you were 10 minutes late to doing a, uh, you know, a FaceTime between someone, you know, and their, and their relative, uh, and so here's what you go through. And, and the reason we're doing this is we're putting together pilot programs because when they start being able to talk about it, they get it up and out. So uh, the trauma happens and the trauma is something beyond what you can imagine. You feel horrified. You feel terrified about what you saw. You start to feel fragile you feel like you're going to panic. But if you're a healthcare worker or a veteran or active military, you can't panic. You have to go back. Your co-workers are. So what happens is instead of panicking, uh, you get an adrenaline rush from all the danger. You know, so, you know, excitement triggers adrenaline, but so does danger. You know, an NBA athlete can... Know, play a whole half on a broken leg if they're running on adrenaline. So adrenaline insulates you from pain immediately. So the adrenaline allows you to push away the thoughts and push away the feelings because you got to function. So there you are, pushing away everything functioning, and you don't know how you're going to make it through the next shift, and there you've been up 24 hours. So you almost feel superhuman, but inside you're feeling really messed up. And it goes on day after day and you, and you're doing it, you know, and you're connecting with people and you're insulated from it all because of all the adrenaline, but what's going to happen. And I hope the book isn't needed because when the danger goes away, the adrenaline goes away. And when the adrenaline goes away, the insulation goes away and all that stuff you pushed away to survive It feels like it's going to come back and eat you alive. You know, and I'm sure there's some parallel, you know, you know, when you're traumatized by being a widow is it's a, you know, geez, I'm walking along and then suddenly something reminds me of it. And it just grabbed the whole of me. I didn't think I was going to make it home. And you get triggered. And uh, so... So what happens, uh, uh, and we talk about in the book, is when you can, and and that's why you're creating such a great service. And that's why people who are going through the same thing, you know, you got to meet with each other. Seriously. Because if you're a widow, especially if you're a young widow, and someone hasn't been through it, they don't know. They may be well-intentioned, and you don't want to yell at them, you know, you just don't know. In fact, that woman, you know, thank you for letting me be tangential because I speak in tangents. Uh, but that woman, whose daughter, only child daughter, was murdered viciously, I don't think I was helping her. I mean, she probably, I guess, she thought I was helping her. She, you know, she thanked me. She made a donation uh, to the school, uh, and she thanked me. Uh, but, but I, th- what helped her is I introduced her to. If you want to talk about a really rough support group there's a group called Mothers of Murdered Children and the and the Los Angeles chapter the head of the chapter was Sharon Tate's mother you know and Sharon Tate was the one killed by Manson and so I got her to join the group i think i was an advisor you know you know for a year and i'll tell you this is a group you don't want to you don't want to be a member of this because they would share about the murder. They would share, you know, about finding the perpetrator. They would share what the legal thing is, and that's what they do. But what happened is by going to that, because nobody could really understand what you're going through, what what happened, and tell me if you've had this experience, if you've, if you've been in such a group, what happened is the younger mothers who's, who had just had a, a murdered child happen, they looked to her like a mother. She was the experienced one. And so she didn't minimize what they were going through. But what happened is it's like the, the further away you are, you know, the more that someone who's really new, who's in a panic, I, I, I can't survive it. You know, i want to kill myself. You know, I, you know, if you've been there, you've earned the right to not, you know, gloss over it. You're able to sort of say, I know we have that
0: all the
1: time actually
0: it's like mentorship in death terrible
1: terrible terrible mentorship yeah and we have both felt that um i think i can speak for you mel but When we have talked to people who have been widows for a long period of time, you know, 10, 12, 15 years, and in the beginning you can't wrap your head around making it that far because all you can think about is right now, and all you can think about is you can kind of live in the past because you just replay that over and over. And so when you meet somebody who's moved forward and has a life that's beautiful and fulfilling you're kind of confused by them, but also intrigued. And it gives you some semblance of maybe I can get to that point in some, you know, at some point in time. And it means so much more than somebody in your neighborhood, you know, saying, oh, it's going to be just fine. You know, you're like, how, how do you know? But you can really believe it when you've met with People who have lived your same life or walked in the same footsteps before you.
2: One of the things that they found helpful, but you can use this because you don't want to sound clinical or intellectual. But one of the people I saw, uh, she she said. She said I was walking through, uh, taking a walk and uh, through you know through the woods, and I saw a tree that was cut, must have been a hundred years old, and she said. You know, each of those rings on the tree is a year. And it shows the history of the tree. One, one year there was fire, another year it was a flood. And, you know, and the tree has character because each ring is a different year. And she said, uh, and it was so insightful, she said, she said, I think what I need to do is build new memories to dilute the effect of the other ring. Mm
1: interesting
2: and the more you and you build new memories by actions taken and the actions can be you know helping other people but i thought that was so profound what a great image because if you just stay stuck in the thoughts you're not building new memories to dilute the impact of one of those bad rings
0: isn't it true also i've heard about trees that if there has been a frost or a freeze that you can look at the tree trunk, if you saw it open and you can see when the trauma occurred. So that's interesting because it's not like you necessarily will erase the rings that you've already had. You won't erase the trauma ring that you had, but you can contribute to the new rings.
2: That's right. That's right. And I'll leave you. I collect eloquent quotes and there was a woman I was seeing And I didn't think I was helping her. And she came in. She says, I think I'm better. And I said, what happened? And it was so eloquent. She said, you know what? It comes down to living with life, never being the same again. And I thought that is so beautiful. Living with life, never being the same again. I said, what does it mean? She said, life will never be the same again, but it doesn't mean it's over doesn't mean I can't laugh. You know, I'm not ready, but it doesn't mean I can't love. You know, but if I stay stuck in, I can't stand it. You know, I can't accept it. You know, it'll just be different. You know, and a lot of people who've had cancer, you know, 9-11, you know, there's been many times when we just learned to live with life never being the same again. And I just thought it was so beautiful, the expression.
0: It's true. And we live with the dichotomy of traumatic things having happened and also the possibility for joy, or even sometimes those two things simultaneously living together. So all of that is so valuable. So thank you so much, Dr. Morose Goulston for joining us
2: today. Thank you for thank you for having me on. Oh, I'm gonna give you one other tip because I like to give tips. So here was another insight. This is from a psychologist. And and I just love the way it works. He says that sometimes when you say, uh, I can't go on, or uh, I don't know what I'm going to do, he says, you put a psychological wedge into your head, which sounds like this, up until now, I've thought I couldn't go on. Up until now, uh, I didn't think uh, uh, I could learn how to deal with it. But I think that's a lovely device because what you're, what you're doing is you're putting a pause there and you're separating the past up until now. I never thought that I could get beyond this, which is different than I can't get beyond this. I'm sorry. I just can't get beyond this. So it it's a nice device. So I just wanted to share that with you as a parting shot.
1: And it doesn't try and erase the past either. And just like positive thought yourself out of it. It helps you to, you know, like acknowledge, yes, that was part of me and that happened. And now we're going to try something new or we're going to See if we can do it now. So good job. We appreciate the tips and all the stories and all the name dropping. We're here for all of it.
2: I I haven't even started with the name dropping. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Okay,
1: guys, thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Goulston. We really appreciate your time and all of your wisdom. Obviously, you have a lot of um, experience and knowledge, and I think that all of our listeners are really going to benefit from that. So thank you so much. Remember to check out our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash WWDN. And if you want to buy us a taco, go to buymeacoffee.com slash now. Check out the Widow Wives Club. Make sure you answer all of the questions
0: on Facebook.
1: And until next time, I'm Anita. I'm Mel.
2: And I'm Dr. Morose.
1: And we're just two young widows and one serial name dropper. And we're trying to figure out Widow We we Do do now. Now.
0: This is my favorite thing to discuss with you. Tell me, what well, is it? One of my favorite things. I do enjoy tacos and cheese and dogs. This is about how you cannot pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a phone plan, especially when you're a widow. Your person is dead. You might have kids. You might need another option and you just want your phone to work. You want unlimited texting and service and you want it to be like 25 bucks a month